0: 24, a restless night, turning out twice to drink water between 1 and 4, June, 10, A.N. has just returned from his office, his employer thinking him very unfit for work, and desiring him to lay up for a day or two, complains of being jolly seedy, and thinks he shall go to Greenwich again to get all right, a thrilling paper upon the philosophy of death, was then read by Professor Winslow, after tracing the origin of that fatal attack. Which it appears the earliest nations were subject to. The learned author showed profound research in bringing forward the various terms applied to the act of dying by popular authors. Amongst the principal, he enumerated turning your toes up, kicking the bucket, putting up your spoon, slipping your wind, booking your place, breaking your bellows, shutting up your shop, and other phrases full of expression. The last moments of remarkable characters were especially dwelt upon. In connection, more especially, with the drama, which gives us the best examples. From its holding a mirror up to nature, it appeared that at Hastley's late amphitheatre, the dying men generally shuffled about a great deal in the sawdust, fighting on their knees, and showing great determination to the last, until life gave way, that at the Adelphi the expiring character more frequently saw imaginary demons waiting for him, and fell down, uttering off themes. I come to join you in your world of flames and that clowns and pandaloons always gave up the ghost with heart-rending screams and contour of visage, as their deaths were generally violent, from being sawn in half, having holes drilled in them with enormous skinlets, or being shot out of cannon, but that, at the same time, these deaths were not permanent, for in intelligence, our foreign expresses have reached us via Billingsgate, and are full of interesting matter. Captain Fitz Flammer is in prison at Cologne for some trifling misunderstanding with a native butcher, about the settlement of an account, but we trust no time will be lost by our government in demanding his release at the hands of the authorities, the attempt to make it a private question is absurd, and every Englishman's blood will simmer, if it does not actually boil, that the intelligence, Flammer was only engaged in doing that which many of our countrymen visit loam expressly to do, and it is hard that he should have been intercepted in his retreat after accomplishing his object, to live at the expense of a natural enemy is certainly a bold and patriotic act, which ought to excite sympathy at home, and protection abroad, the English packet, the city of Boulogne, has turned one of its imitation guns directly towards the town, which, we trust, will have the effect of bringing the French authorities to a reason, it is expected that the treaty will shortly be signed, by which Belgium cedes to France a milestone on the north frontier. While the latter country returns to the former the whole of the territory lying behind a pigsty, taken possession of in the celebrated sixth and demi by the allied armies, this will put an end to the heart burnings that have long existed on either side of the Rhine, and will serve to apply the sponge at once to a long score of national animosities, our letters from the east are far from encouraging, the Pasha has had a severe sore throat, and the disaffected have taken advantage of the circumstance. Ibrahim had spent the two last nights in the mountains, and was unfurling his standard. When our express left, in the very bosom of the desert, Mithinath Ali was still obstinate, and had dismissed his vizier for impertinence. The whole of Serbia is in a state of revolt, and the authorities have planted troops along the entire line, the whole of whom have gone over to the enemy. It is said there must be further concessions, and a new constitution is being drawn up, but it is not expected that anyone will abide by it. Mehmet attempted to throw himself upon the Rock of Nungad, with a tremendous force, but those about him wisely prevented him from doing so. We have received China tea papers to the 16th. There is nothing in them, fancied fair. The Duke of Wellington, says a correspondent of the Times, left his umbrella behind him at a fancy fair, held for charitable purposes, between Twickenham and Teddington. On discovering it, Lady P immediately said, Who will give twenty guineas for the Duke's umbrella? A purchaser was soon found, and when the fact was communicated to His Grace, he good-naturedly remarked, I'll soon supply you with umbrellas, if you can sell them with so much advantage to the charity. We trust His Grace's benevolent disposition will not induce him to carry this offer into execution. We should extremely regret to see the hero of Waterloo in Leicester Square, of a rainy night, vending second-hand parapluies. The same charitable impulse will doubtlessly induce other their fashionable hawkers at fancy fairs to pick his grace's pockets. We are somewhat curious to know what a Wellington bandana would realize. Especially were it the produce of some pretty lady p. Single quote as petty larceny. Charity. It is said. Cover of the multitude of sins. What must it do with an umbrella? We fear that lady p. will someday figure in the fashionable departures. Punches theater. the act directs. The production upon the stage of a tragedy, not intended for an acting play, as a broad travesty, is a novel and dangerous experiment one, however, which the combined genius of the dramatic author's council has made, with the utmost success. The Hungarian Daughter was, under the title of Martinezzi, received, on its first appearance, with bursts of applause and convulsions of laughter. The plot of this piece our literary reviewer has expressed himself unable to unravel, We are in the same condition, all we can promise is some account of the scenes as they followed each other, of the characters, the sentiments, the poetry, and the rest of the fun. The play opens with an elderly gentleman, in a spangled dressing gown, who commences business by telling us the time of day, poetically clapping a wig upon the Sunday by saying, he shakes day about, like perfume from his hair, which statement bears out the after sentence, that the wisdom he endures is terrible an Austrian gentleman whose dress made us at first mistake him for Richard III, On his travels arrives to inform the gentleman and Sabil no other than Cardinal Martínez himself that he has come from King Ferdinand, to ask if he will be so good as to give up some regency, which the Cardinal, however, respectfully declines doing. A gentleman from Warsaw is next announced, and Castaldo retires, having incidentally declared a passion for the reigning Queen of Hungary, Mr. Selby, as Rupert from Warsaw, then appears, in a dress most correctly copied from the costume of the native of clubs, being a pole, he stirs up the cardinal vigorously enough to provoke some exceedingly intemperate language, chiefly by bringing to his memory a case of child-stealing, to which Martinez was, before he had quite sown his wild oats, partisits criminis, this case having got into the papers which Rupert had preserved, the cardinal wants to obtain them, but offers a price not long enough for the poll, who, declaring that Martinez carries it too high to be trusted with them, vanishes. Mr. Morley afterwards comes forward to sing a song according to Act of Parliament, and the scene changes for Miss Collect to comply, a second time, with the 25th of Georgia I. In the following scene, the Queen Dowager of Hungary, Isabella, introduces herself to the audience, to inform them that the Austrian gentleman, Castaldo, is, the mild, petty fraud object of her fondness, he appears, she makes several inflammatory speeches, which he seems determined not to understand, for he is in love with the Virgin Queen, and maidens before dowagers is evidently his sensible motto, the second act opens with the Queen Junior stating her assurance, that if she lives much longer she will die, and that when she is quite dead, she will hate Mardi as, however, she means to hate when she is deceased. She will make the most of her time while alive, by devoting herself to courtship M. Castaldo, for a very tender love scene ensues, at the end of which the lady elopes, to leave the lover a clear stage for some half-dozen minutes ecstatics, appropriately ended by his arrest, ordered by Mardinezzi, why, it is not stated, the officer not even producing the copy of the writ, Charina, when I am dead which will be soon I feel, if I much longer on my throne remain i shall abhor the name of martinezzi in the next scene isabella is visited by rupert who disinterestedly presents the dowager with the papers for nothing which he was before offered in odd castle and snug estate for by martinezzi this is accounted for on no other supposition than the proverbial gallantry of gentlemen from warsaw martinezzi possessing a ward whom he is anxious should wed the queen opens the third act by declaring he will precipitate the match And so the author considerately sends Charina to him, to talk the matter over, but the young lady gets into a passion, and the cardinal declares he can make nothing of her. In the following passage, fool, I can make thee nothing but a laugh, a sentiment to which the audience gave a most vociferous echo. The damsel is angry that she may not have the man she has chosen, and threatens to faint, but defers that operation till her lover's arms are near enough to receive her, which they happen to be just in time. Before Martinezzi retires and Castaldo comes on, Chirina, to be quite sure, exclaims, Are these thy arms? Sick and finally faints in the lover's embrace, so as to exhibit a picturesque cuddle. Queen Isabella is discovered, in the second scene of this act, perusing the much-vaunted papers with intense interest, and luckily Castaldo chooses that moment to complain, that Martinezzi will not let him marry her rival, the Queen, being by no means a temperate person and wondering at his impudence in telling her such a tale, raves thus, my soul's on fire I'm choked, and seem to perish, but will suppress my scream, probably for fear of compromising Castaldo, who is alone with her, and she ends the act by requesting the Austrian to murder Martinesi, to which he is so obliging as to consent, the more so, as an order comes from the Secretary of State for foreign affairs, of his own government, to cut off, sick the regent, The fourth fact is enlivened by a masquerade and a murder. The gentleman from Warsaw having abused the hospitality of his host by getting drunk, is punished by one of Martinez's attendants with a mortal stab, and having, in the agonies of death, made a careful survey of all the sofas in the apartment, suits himself with the softest, and dies in great comfort. After this, the masquerade proceeds with spirit. Isabella mixes in the festive scene, disguised in a domino, made of black sticking plaster. Charina overhears that she is a usurper and a changeling, and expresses her surprise in a line most unblushingly stolen from Fitzball and the other poetico melodramatists, Merciful Heavens, Do My Ears Deceive Me. The festivities conclude with an altercation between Martínez and Isabella, carried on with much vigor on both sides. The lady accuses the gentleman of inebriation, and he owns the soft impeachment, fully bearing it out by several incoherent speeches. This was one of the most successful scenes in the comedy, The Death of Rupert, Mr. Morley's song about, The Sea, The Quarrel which was about the great pivot of the plot, The Papers, Inscribed, Says Martínezzi, With ink that's brewed in the infernal sticks, Were all received with uproarious bursts of laughter, In the fifth act, We behold Martínezzi and the usurping young queen making matters up at a railway pace, She has it all her own way, If she choose, She may marry Castaldo, retire into private life, be a farmhouse for all, and keep a dairy, for which estate she has previously expressed a decided predilection, acting play, published in the theater, page 32, but it is the next scene that the author seems to have reserved for putting forth his strongest powers of burlesque and broad humor, Isabella and Castaldo are together, the latter feels a little afraid to murder Martinezzi, but is impelled to the deed by a thousand imaginary torches which he fears will hurry his, moth-like soul, into their, blinding sunbeams, till it the soul is scorched, into cinders, Castaldo appears, in truth, a very bad barber of murders, for, as he is rushing out to, strike the tyrant down in crimson streams rend every nerve, Isabella has the shrewdness to discover that he is without a weapon, important omission, the incipient assassin exclaims, oh, that I had my sword, but at that moment clever, dramatic contrivance. Enter CZRINA. With a drawn sword. CZRINA. There's one. Dine own. Far from being grateful for this opportune supply of ways and means for murder. Castaldo calls the build away, fate aspic. Upon the edge of which his eyeballs crack to a look. And makes a raving exit from the stage. To a roaring laugh from the audience. It is quite clear to Isabella. From his extreme carelessness about his tools that Castaldo is not safely to be trusted with a job which requires so much tact and business-like exactitude as the capital offense, she therefore, shows a file, which she intends, occasion sweeting for, Martinez's bane, thereby hinting that, if Castaldo fail with his steel medicine, she is ready with a sure potion, the next scene, being the last, was ushered in with acclamations, the stage, as is always in that case made and provided, was full, there is a young gentleman on a throne, and Charina beside it, having been somehow ungallantly deposed, Martinez expresses a wish to drink somebody's health, and this being the fitting opportunity, mentioned by the author in the scene priesting, Isabella empties the phial of her wrath into the beverage, and the cardinal quenches his thirst with a most intemperate draught, it is now duly announced, that Castaldo Island, with naked sword, approaching, that gentleman appears, and makes a speech long enough for any man who has had such plain warning of what is to happen even a cardinal encumbered with a spangled dressing gown to get a mile out of his way. The speech quite ended, he goes to a work, and with this from King Ferdinand, thrusts at Martinazzi. Charina, however, throws herself, with great skill, on the point of the sword, and dies, another long harangue from Castaldo which, as he is evidently broken-winded from exertion, is pronounced in tiny snatches and he dies with a ha, huh, for one like many greater men of breath. Meanwhile, the poison makes Martinazzi exceedingly uncomfortable in the stomachic regions. He is quite sure that hath been done to me which sends me Star Ward, but in his progress thither he evidently loses his way, for he ends the play by inquiring, where is the world? the sublimity of which query is manifestly insisted on by the author, by his having it printed in capitals, when the curtain fell there arose an uproarious shout for the author, but instead of, the man of the Elizabethan poets, which, it has been said, he commonly wears. The most attractive garment that met the view was an expansive white waistcoat. This latter exhibition concluded the entertainments. Strictly so called, for though a farce followed, it turned out a terrible bore. Concert steet, if the advance of musical science is to be affected by indecent tableaus thevens by rattling peas against sieves and putting out the lights appropriately enough when Beethoven is being murdered by the most contemptible class of compositions that ever was put upon score paper, and noised forth from an ill-disciplined band if these be the means towards improving musical taste. Monsieur Julian is undoubtedly the harmonic regenerator of this country. He is a great man great in his own estimation great to the ends of his mustachios and the tips of his gloves a great composer, and a great charlatan example G.R. The overture to the promenade concerts usually consists of a pantomime entirely new to an English audience. Monsieur joyen having made his appearance in the orchestra, seats himself in a conspicuous situation, to indulge the ladies with the most favorable view of his elegant person, and the splendid gold chainery which is spread all over his magnificent waistcoat. A servant in livery then appears, and presents him with a pair of white kid gloves, the illustrious conductor having taken some time to thrust them upon a very large and red hand leisurely takes up his baton rises grins upon the expectant musicians lifts his arm and the first chord is struck quadrilles are the staple of the evening nose composed by monsieur joy always of course claiming precedence and preference these are usually interspersed with solos on the flageolet to contrast with obligate before the effect Lido, the drummer's side long and double are seldom inactive, the trombones and trumpets have no sinecure, and there is always a great mortality amongst the fiddle strings, eight bars of impossible variation is sure to be succeeded by sixteen of the deafening fanfare of trumpets, combined with smashing symbolism, and dreadful drumming, the public have a taste for headaches, and Jayan has imported a capital recipe for creating them, they applaud the bows, and musical taste goes in compliment to the ex-waiter's genuine profession of man cooked pot, but the side event ear is not content with comparatively harmless, plain-sailing humbug, he must add some sauce pecan to his musical hashes, he cannot rest with nearly stunning English ears, but must shock our morals, that the bull's masks, the French dancers, and the hardly mentionable cancan, were hooted back to their native scuse under the palais royal, but he provides substitutes for them in the tableaux vivants now exhibiting. This, because a more insidious, is a safer introduction. The living figures are dressed to imitate plaster of Paris, and are so arranged as to form groups, called in the bills, classical, but for which it would be difficult to find originals. In short, the whole thing is a feeler thrown out to see how far French impudence and French epicureanism and vice may carry themselves. It shall not be our fault if they do not experience an ignominious downfall, and beat a speedy retreat, to the tune of the Rogues' march, arranged as a quadrille. M-A-D-A-M-A-T-U-S-S-A-U-D-E-S, the real temple of fame. Some men are born to greatness, some men achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. S-H-A-K-S-P-A-R-E, reader, should you doubt the above assertion, in the true showman phraseology, just, walk up, walk up. To wedding to odds, the real temple of fame, and let such doubts vanish forever, convince yourselves that the mighty attribute not more survives from good than evil deeds, though, like poverty, it makes its votaries acquainted with the strangest of strange bedfellows: the regal ermine and the murderers festion alike obtain their enviable niche, the likeness of departed majesty, robed in the matchless splendor of a ruler's state, redlent with all the mimic glories of a king's insignia, the modelled puppet from the senseless clay, that wore in life the imperial purple, and moved a breathing thing, chief factor in its childish memories, may here be seen shining in tinseled pomp, in glittering contrast to the blood-stained shirt through which the dagger of Reviliac reached the bosom of the murdered Henry, the real robes of the dead George give value to his waxen image, the heart's blood of the slaughtered Henry immortalizes the linen bearing its hideous stain, the daring leader of France's countless hosts, the wholesale slaughterer of a numbered thousands ambitions, mightiest son, now ruling kingdoms and now ruled by one once more than king in death, the captive of his hated foes, the great Napoleon, shares that small space with the enshrined fiasco. The glorious triumphs of the mighty Wellington are here no better passports than the foul murders of the atrocious Burke, the subtle tolerant, the deep divisor of political schemes, ruler of rulers, and master mover of the earth's great puppets. Is not one jot superior to the Italian mountebank, whose well-skilled hand drew tones from catgut, rivaling even the ideal trumpet of great fame herself. By some strange anomaly, success and failure alike render the candidates admissible, no matter the littleness of the source from whence they sprung. Lord Melbourne's premiership gave shape to the all-but-promethean wax. The failure of John Frost, his humble follower, secured his right to fame's posthumous honors. All partiality is here forgotten the titled premier, in the haunts of men, may boast his monarch's palace as his home, the suffering felon, though iron binds his limbs, and eats into his heart though slow approaching, but sure coming death, makes the broad world for him a living grave, here he stands, as one among the great ones of the show, the amiability of Albert, that excellent prince, and therefore, most excellent young man, is ingeniously contrasted with the vices of a green agra, and the villainy of a hare, the stern endurance and unflinching perseverance of the zealous and single heart Kelvin is deprived of its exclusiveness by the more exciting and equally famous Sir William Courtney, alias Tom. The thrilling recollection of the poet peer and peerless poet, the highly imaginative and unrivalled Byron, whose flood of song poured out in one continuous stream of varied passion, breathing fancy, is come by gazing on dull Life's antipodes, the bandaged remnant of a dried-out mummy, poor Mary Stuart, the beautiful. The murdered Queen of Scots is only parted from the Maiden Queen, who sealed her doom by the interposition of the blood-stained ruthless wretch England's eighth Harry, to whom vests out her birth. Kent, Fox, and Canning are matched with Corvoisier, Gould, and Collins. List on his vis a to Joe Hume, while Louis fully but shares attention with the rivaling models of the Bastille and Guillotine. Verily, there is a moral in all this, and we could but find it out. Punch are the London CHARIVARI, Volume 1, for the week ending September 12th, 1841, The Air of APPLEBIDE, Chapter III. After the ceremony, the happy pair set off for Brighton. There is something peculiarly pleasing in the above paragraph. The imagination instantly conjures up an elegant yellow-bodied chariot, lined with curled drab, and a sandwich basket. In one corner sits a fair and blushing creature partially arrayed in the garments of a bride their spotless character diversified with some few articles of a darker hue, resembling, in fact, the liquid matrimony of Port and Sherry, her delicate hands have been denuded of their gloves, exhibiting to the world the glittering emblem of her endless hopes, in the other, a smiling piece of four and twenty humanity is reclining, gazing upon the beautiful treasure, which has that morning cost him about six pounds five shillings, in the shape of license and fees. He too has deprived himself of the sunniest portions of his wardrobe, and has softened the glare of his white ducks, and the gloss of his blue coat, by the application of a drab waistcoat, but why indulge in speculative dreams when we have realities to detail? Agamemnon Columpsy on Appleby and his beauteous Juliana Teresa Late Wadley got, for three days, experienced that, love is heaven, and heaven is love, his imaginary dinner party became a reality and the delicate attentions which he paid to his invisible guest rendered his Juliana Teresa's life as she exquisitely expressed it, a something without a name, but to which nothing was wanting, but even honey will cloy, and that sweetest of all moons, the apian one, would sometimes be better for a change. Juliana passed the greater portion of the day on the sofa, in the companionship of that aromatic author, Sir Edward, or sauntered listlessly hanging on columpsions arm up and down the styna or the no less diversified pier, Agamemnon felt that at home at least he ought to be happy, and, therefore, he hung his legs over the balcony and whistled or warbled he had a remarkably fine demure's ballad. of, believe me, if all those endearing young charms, or took the silver out of the left-hand pocket of his trousers, and placed it in the right-hand receptacle of the same garment, nevertheless, he was continually detecting himself yawning or dozing, as though, the idol of his existence, was a chimera, and not Mrs. Applebyte, the time at length arrived for their return to town, and, to judge from the pleasure depicted in the countenances of the happy pair, the contemplated intrusion of the world on their family circle was anything but disagreeable, old John, under the able generalship of Mrs. Wadley had made every requisite preparation for their reception, enameled cards, superscribed with the names of Mr. and Mrs. Applebyte. And united together with a silver cord tied in a true lover's knot, had been duly enclosed in an envelope of lacework, secured with a silver dove, flying away with a square piece of silver toast, in company with a very unsatisfactory bit of exceedingly rich cake. This glossy missive was dispatched to the whole of the apple-bite and Wadligoth connection, only accepting the eighteen daughters who Mrs. Wadligoth had reason to believe would not return her visit. The meeting of the young wife and the wife's mother was touching in the extreme. They rushed into each other's arms, and indulged in plentiful showers of nature's dew. Welcome, welcome home, my dear Juliana, exclaimed the doting mother. It's the first time, Mr. A that she ever left me since she was sixteen. For so long a period, I have had all the beds aired, and all the chairs uncovered. She'll be a treasure to you. Mr. A for a more tractable creature was never vaccinated, and here the mother overcame the order, and she wept again, my dear mother, said Agamemnon, I have already had many reasons to be grateful for my happy fortune, don't you think she is browner than when we left town, much, much, sobbed the mother, but the change is for the better, I'm glad you think so, for Aggie is of the same opinion, lisped the beautiful ex-wadley tell ma the pretty metaphor you indulged in yesterday. Agni. Why? I merely remarked, replied Columption, blushing, that I was pleased to see the horticultural beauties of her cheeks superseded by such an exquisite marine painting. It's nothing of itself. But Julie's foolish fondness called it witty. The arrival of the single sister of Mrs. Appleby occasioned another rush of bodies and several gushes of tears, then titterings succeeded, and then a simultaneous burst of laughter, and a rapid exit. Agamemnon looked round that room which he had furnished in his bachelorhood. A thousand old associations sprung up in his mind, and a vague feeling of anticipated evil for a moment oppressed him. The bishopry seemed to reproach him with unkindness for having placed a mistress over them, and the easy chair heaved as though with suppressed emotion, at the thought that its luxurious proportions had lost their charms. Columpsion held a mental toss-up whether he repented of the change in his condition, and, as faithful historians, we are compelled to state that it was only the entrance, at that particular moment, of Juliana, that induced him to cry woman, on the following day the knocker of number 24 disturbed all the other numerals in pleasant terrace, and Mr. and Mrs. A bowed and curtsied until they were tired, in acknowledgement of their friends, wishes of joy, and, as one unlucky old gentleman expressed himself, many happy returns of the day, it was a matter of surprise to many of the said friends, "'that so great an alteration as was perceptible in the happy pair, "'should have occurred in such a very short space of time. "'I used to think Mr. Applebite a very nice young man,' said Miss Mind, Miss Scragbury, "'but, dear me, how he's altered, and Mrs. Applebite used to be a pretty girl,' rejoined her brother Julius, but now Juliana had refused him three times but now she's as ill-looking as her mother. "'I'd no idea this house was so small,' said Mrs. Scragmore. I'm afraid the waddly dots haven't made so great a catch, after all, I hope poor Julie will be happy, for I nursed her when a baby, but I never saw such an ugly pattern for a stair carpet in my born days, and with these favorable impressions of their dear friends the Apple Bites, the Scragmores descended the steps of Boomber 24, Pleasant Terrace, and then ascended those of Boomber 5436 Hackney Coach, about 10 months after their union. Columption was observed to have a more jaunty step and smiling countenance, which as his matrimonial felicity had been so frequently pronounced perfect puzzled his friends amazingly. Indeed, some were led to conjecture that his love for Juliana Teresa was not of the positive character that he asserted it to be, for when any inquiries were made after her health, his answer had invariably been, of late, why, Mrs. A is not very well, and a smile would play about his mouth. As though he had a delightful vision of a widowerhood, the mystery was at length solved by the exhibition of sundry articles of a Lilliputian wardrobe, followed by an announcement in the morning post under the head of births. Yesterday morning, the lady of Agamemnon Columsey on Applebite, esquire of a son and heir, pleasant terrace was strawed from one end to the other, the knocker of 24 was encased in white kid, a doctor's boy was observed to call three times a day, and a pop boy twice as often. Columption was in a seventh heaven of wedded bliss, he shook hands with everybody thanked everybody invited everybody when Mrs. A should be better, and noted down in his pocketbook what everybody prescribed as infallible remedies for the measles, whooping cough, smallpox, and rashes both net and Tooth listened for hours to the praises of vaccination and Indian rubber rings pronounced Godding Sporter a real blessing to mothers, and inquired the.